Okay, Acts chapter 9, um, over here in uh, verse 1. Vince, you want to go ahead and re- start reading? I mean, first, though, before uh, you start reading, though, I want to tell you, so I think this is super important because Paul eventually, this is actually what we're about to read about is we're about to read about Saul. And are you familiar with Saul at all? Yeah. He was eventually renamed Paul. And he became a very, I guess you could say, prominent disciple in the New Testament, right? Yeah, he was. He wrote majority of the New That's Testament. Uh, in other words, he was uh, he was so not to elevate him or anything, but he was actually a disciple of God. That was he was so he stood as a Pharisee when Stephen was being stoned to death. He was the one that knew the way of the Pharisee. Um, actually, if you study out Saul even more, um, you can actually read about how he came up under the feet of Gamaliel. So there was a man named Gamaliel, and what Gamaliel did is he actually. One thing about him that you can remember is uh, actually Gamaliel was like kind of one of the chief Pharisees, I guess you could say. So he taught basically Saul at the time. But later, we're about to get into Saul's conversion, and you're going to read about how he was converted to Paul and the whole experience about this, you know, and I love this. So go ahead and start at verse 1. And it says, And Saul, yet breathing out threat, threat, I can't, I can't. <laughs> Threatenings. <laughs> Threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord went unto the high priests and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues that if he found any of this way, whatever they were men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem, unto Jerusalem. Go on. And as he journeyed, he came near... Well, actually, go ahead and stop there. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but... So, I believe wholeheartedly, actually, and uh, I remember digging deep into this, you know, and and I, to be exact, you know, in fact, you know, if somebody's listening to this, you know, I encourage you to actually dig deep and understand this when I say this, but off the top of my head, all I know is, all I remember is that he did get the letters, you know, that he desired from the high priest, you know, so... You know, Saul, so obviously Saul at the time, breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest. So basically what he's meaning is that he, so Saul was very, when Saul first started off, like he was very, as a Pharisee, he was very, very against God's people. They're very against the disciples, you know, so do you know what it means to persecute? Kind of. Basically like a... um, Persecution. How do I explain this? You know, the simple way. Persecution is basically where they were, just like I said, very against them. You know, they're very. You know, so not only they can make fun of you, they could. You know, more than just make fun of you. Like Saul was also the reason a lot of Christians, I fully believe, were the reason why a lot of Christians were put to death. So that's a form of persecution and martyring. You know, so what is what that means? So persecuting means trying to basically, you know, they're they're working against you every step of the way. And Saul was one of those. That's why it says he was breathing out threatenings and slaughter, you know, against the disciples of the Lord. You know, so it says it went unto. Okay, there we go. There it is. So it says right here at the end of verse one. It says went unto the high priest. So the way I take that is he 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 made it there. And then he was on his on the road to Damascus, and it says, "And two and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound into Jerusalem." So, in other words, what he means is that bound. In other words, basically prisoners 
bound, you know, tied up, you know, or, you know, in hand, well, I don't think they hadn't, they could have had handcuffs, you know, because they had silversmiths and people that worked with, you know, it could have been rope, you know, I don't know how they tied them up and that part's not really important. The point of the matter is, is that Saul at the time was persecuting the church. He was very against the disciples in this way. But then you began to read verse three and go ahead. I'll let you take that away. I don't want to take that from you. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. <laughs> and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Is that right? <laughs> it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. So, what do you think is going on here? Jesus is asking him, why do you persecute me? Yeah, and pretty much. You know, God, yeah. You know, the Holy Trinity, God, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, yeah. yeah. They all agree in one and work together as one. So so the thing to keep in mind in Acts is this is after Jesus is re- The timing is this is after Jesus had already been crucified and already resurrected on the third point of morning. This is after that. These Isn't are that years. Why it said Jesus? Huh? Isn't that why it said Jesus? Um, where at? <clears throat> Let me see here. Well, it, says the Lord. it says, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. Yeah, so there you go. Yeah, so, it, yeah, absolutely. So I don't believe, though, he was in person, though, because, again, the yeah. timing of this in particular was after the resurrection. Yeah. So, you know, but again, just like I said, you know, there's the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. They all work together. They all agree yeah. in one. You know, they don't step over top of each other. They all work together. But the point of it is, though, it, it also is in red, you know. So, uh, you know, it, the point of the matter is, you know, that, I mean, don't get me wrong, all of it, whether the print is red or black, you know, it's all the word of God, you know, it came from God's mouth. But they like to highlight red, God's own words, you know, to make it stand out. So, yeah, he's asking them, you know, why persecutest thou me? But I always get stuck up on verse 5, right? And he said, who art thou, Lord, with a capital L, meaning a proper name, right? You know what a proper name is? Yeah. Your name, Vincent. Yeah. yeah. Timothy, Stephanie, Gwendolyn, Annabeth, uh, Stephen. Those are proper names, right? Those are proper names. They are the name of somebody, you know, of a person. So he said, who art thou, Lord? Now, now, why am I telling you that? Why am I telling you that's a proper name? Because it's his that's proper his, it's his name. name. That's his it's name. his name. So my question is this. For somebody that was persecuting the church and the voice that spoke to him, how did he know that he was Lord? I same mean, way. He could same. have also heard it. Well, well, he could have also. Well, he did hear it. He did hear it because the line shown wrote about him. But the point of the, the point that I'm trying to get across is that he knew exactly who it was that was speaking to him. Yeah. He just like Nebuchadnezzar seeing the fourth man in the well, fire. If he was persecuting the Christians, then how would he not know who their Lord was? Like not absolutely because but like yeah. Not physically, I guess you could say. Well, it's because the Christians are God, are those are His people. Yeah, you know that to be Christ-like is the definition of a Christian. Mm-hmm. They were His people, so He acknowledges Him. You know, Saul. He says, "Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me?" But then He says, and He said, "Who art thou, Lord?" So He He's basically kind of asking a pointless question, right? In a way, you know, like He knew who it was who was speaking to Him, or else He wouldn't have acknowledged Him as Lord. You know, you don't just call anybody Lord. You know. So, and he said, 
And the Lord said, I, and the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. Is it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks? So, what do you think it's talking about with the pricks? Have you ever heard of that before? I, I think you've heard me preach on it once. I mean, once, but not really. Okay, that's okay. Um, so, basically, what he's saying, it's hard to work against me. So, oftentimes, you refer to we refer to God as the shepherd. So, you know, we also can refer to our pastor. You know, Stephen likes to call himself the under shepherd. And I think that's very humble of him to call himself that because he's going to the shepherd, you know, to shepherd the sheep. So when you're out in a pasture and you're working with sheep, what a shepherd would have is they would have what they call a shepherd's hook. And what they would do is to get the, being that they didn't have like, I'm not saying they couldn't have done it, but being that they didn't use like dogs like we do as herding dogs. They had the shepherd's hook, and they would poke the sheep with the shepherd's hook. They'd prick them at the feet to get them to go where they wanted them to go. That's why they carried that little staff-looking thing. So he's saying it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. He's poking at you, trying to get your attention, and it's hard to work against God when he's poking at you, trying to get your attention, right? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so that's what he's saying. It's hard to work against against me, basically, is what he's saying. Verse 6, and he says, And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord... What will thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. You know, and then look at verse 7. It gets even better. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. So tell me that wasn't the Spirit of the Lord. You know, so it referred to himself as Jesus, you know, and I like how you brought up that detail. Honestly, I never really paid attention to that fact. I'm not going to lie. Many times I've read this. But it just goes to show you, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, the Holy Trinity, they all work together. We call it the Holy Trinity, but it's the Godhead, what makes up God. It's the Father, creator of the heavens and the earth, the Son, Jesus Christ, who came to earth to die for our sins. And there's the Holy Ghost, you know, the Spirit of the Lord, you know, that went upon the face of the waters, the one that lives inside of us, that leads us, that guides us. It's all the same thing, just... They, they're separate entities, I believe, but they all work together and agree in one, and they don't work against each other, you know. I also think it's kind of cool that when uh, when the Lord is spoke of as the Lord is always a capital L. A lot of people... And that's know, important. And a lot of people know this. I just think it's really cool because when the, the Lord himself is talked about in here, it's a capital L. Mm-hmm. And when the little the little gods... They're always little G's. Yeah, little G's, yeah. And then God, you know, talking about God is a big G. And his is like a big G. Capital G, yeah, absolutely. And that's important throughout the scriptures, especially in our English Bible. You know, that those details are important because in our language, the capitals do matter. You know, the lower cases do matter, absolutely. You know, and I, one thing I always get stuck on with verse 7, and James and I talk about this a lot, but it's true, you know, and, and I love it, but... The men journeying with him, so obviously he had men with him that were witnessing this. They were hearing a voice, but they were seeing no man, you know. It's cool that they all were hearing the voice, too. But they saw no man. So, you know, they were even, you know, probably astonished. I mean, you, you just imagine, you see a light shine right about them and stuff, you know. It all says that just they heard a voice, you know, so it, did, it doesn't necessarily say that they saw the light. I'm not going to say that they didn't, but the point that I'm trying to make, well, though, is... What I meant was, like, they all heard it. That was really fascinating that they all heard it. Well, of course. Of course it would get your attention. But the point of it is, though, is that that's how personal God is. You know, the light shone around about Paul. It doesn't say that it shone around about, uh, you know, or Saul at the time. It didn't shine. It doesn't say that it shone around about, you know, the other men. Now, I'm not saying that it couldn't have, you know, they couldn't have seen it. 
You know, they most certainly could have. But that's how personal our God is. You know, this is how personal and intimate, you know, do you know what it means to be intimate? To be very, very loving with one another, to love one another. And that's how loving God is towards us, you know, and how personal he is. You know, personal meaning how one-on-one he is willing to get with us. You know, that's amazing, isn't it? You know, that we got the God of the whole universe, you know, that created everything, created us, you know, breathed into Adam, you know, the breath of life, you know, formed him from the dust of the earth, put down his hands into the muck and the mire and, and created man. You know, it's amazing that that's how that God was willing to get that personal with his people to where he could go with our heart when we get saved and put his hands around our heart and save us, you know, like out of the, out of our, the muck and mire of our sins. You know, that's, that's amazing. You know, it's good. Any other thoughts and comments before we continue on? Good. So, and it says right here in verse eight, and so they all stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul rose, and this is verse 8, and Saul rose from the earth. And when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. And when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. So um, immense amount of faith here. you know. So his eyes were open, but it says he saw no man. So in other words, he was blinded. Temporarily blinded is what was going on. But it says, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. So obviously the people with him, you know, they were leading him in, you know, three days into Damascus, you know, and he was completely blinded, you know. So I I never really thought of it this way. But, you know, sometimes, too, you know, like I I never really thought about it. So do you remember how we talked about how the light shone wrote about him? See, that's the way God works in a way is that, you know, God can't bless over sin. You know, he's not going to bless over sin. So when he shines that light in a dark place, you know, I'm going to say in a way it's kind of blinding to sin. What do I mean by that? It's, you know, God can't look upon our sinful flesh. You know, he couldn't because if he were literally to look at us face to face, we would literally die. That's why Moses, you know, I never really saw this tying in like that, but it was just kind of God kind of brought it to mind. Moses, when he was taken up into the Mount of God, and this is an important detail too, as we're studying Exodus, we've been doing a study in Exodus and we need to pick up on that is he saw the back parts of God. He couldn't look him face to face, meaning that, you know, the hind parts is what the scripture says, meaning behind him, he can only see the back parts of God, the back of God. If he were to look upon Moses at that current state, he would have literally died, and that's because God can't look upon the sinful flesh. But there's going to come a day, though, where we're going to have a glorified body to where we can look God face to face, where we can see him face to face just for exactly for who he is. You know, isn't that amazing? You know, like uh, people call us foolish and call us blind <laughs> in a way, you know, right? As safe Christians, they call us foolish and blind thinking that, you know, we are deceived, you know, by something that's made up, you know, but the truth about it is I'd rather be foolish. I'd rather be blindly following God than blindly following the world. You know, there's there's a big difference there. That's true. So verse 10, it says, and there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias this is the one that uh, Anna always gets called, Ananias. <laughs> and to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. So, you know, you'll notice how no matter, you know, I always find it interesting that no matter what city they went to, there was always a man of God or a woman of God ready. You ever notice that? Yeah, I think it's awesome, you know. So Ananias, you know, right I never here. never really realized that. Yeah, I never really paid attention to that. But it says, And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, you know, called him by name. And he said, behold, I am here, Lord. You know, that's that's a good example to us, too, right? Mm-hmm. That's the way we need to be. 
as Christians is, you know, when God calls our name, when he calls us for work, when he is preparing us, we need to be ready to go. You know, we need to just present ourselves, you know, the Bible says to present yourselves as a living sacrifice, meaning always be ready, you know, always be willing to do whatever God would have you to do, <laughs> you know, but he says right here in, in verse 11, and he says, and the Lord said unto him, arise and go into the street, which is called straight. And notice how it's a capital S straight. And inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth and hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. So go ahead and do you know what's going on right here? Basically, God called Ananias and he told him, you know, go go into a street, go into a street, which is called straight. So. I, I, I think that's a play on words a little bit. I don't think, you know, now, you know, I, I mean, and maybe this is just my lack of knowledge of the street names, if they even have any at this particular time. I don't think they did. But notice how he said, which is called straight. You know, go straight to them, basically, is what I, I take the way I take that. Go into the street, which is called straight. Yeah, okay, we could look at that as a street name, but I don't think that's the point that, you know, God was trying to get across to Ananias. I think he was trying to get... The point that I think he was trying to get to him was go straight to where I'm sending you. Mm -hmm. So in other words, this would be to to Saul. You know, don't go anywhere else. You know, that's that's in a way we gotta have tunnel vision like that. You know, you know what I mean? We really do. You want you know what I mean by tunnel vision? Our eyes so focused on God that we can't see anything else around us that we're just our eyes are completely straight fixed on God. You know, that's the way we need to be. So, an inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul. So inquire means to look for. You know, and ask for him. And it says, And hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and put his hand on him that he might receive a sight. So this was part of a vision that Ananias was having. That was also going to come to be, come actually happen. Because you got to keep in mind, at this particular time, Saul was blinded for three days, right? Let's go ahead and read 13. Me? Mm-hmm. And it says, And then, and then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man, how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem, and and here he hath authority from the chief priests to blind all that call on thy name. So pause there. So that kind of solidifies even more what I had already said earlier on when we began this is Saul had already, I believe that he already had the letters in his hand or the approval from the high priest to go unbound any of these people that believed in God, these disciples. You know, and so Ananias is kind of reiterating that, especially verse 14 here kind of says that he already had the authority to do it. So that would have to mean that the high priest had given given him that authority to do that. That's why he said in here he hath authority from the chief priest. So it came from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. So all that calls upon the Lord, you know, that's that's going to be persecution, you know. But again, the Lord had already got a hold. Little did Ananias know that the Lord had already got a hold of Saul at this point. And thirteen, it says, Ananias answered, "Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem." So he had already been doing so, some pretty hefty stuff already. So he, Ananias, heard and really didn't want to do it. Right. Amen. Yeah, well, because, he, I mean, honestly, if you, and, you know, and we kind of give him a bad rap a little bit, but, you know, and, and that seems to be a common theme lately anymore, you know, but it's true. We give him a bad rap, but if you heard about somebody that had done all the things that I would be scared. I would probably be, be a little scared. I, this is me. I, I would be doing the same thing that Ananias would be doing right Sure, now. yeah, you know. 
And yeah, absolutely. But then go ahead and read 15, though. Read the response of the Lord. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. <clears throat> for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Yeah, so there you go. So God shows him that he's a chosen vessel of mine. So, you know, I believe wholeheartedly, and I feel comfortable saying this, I believe that Saul got saved. You know, there, uh, actually there's other writings that I've read. I can't remember if it's actually in the scriptures or if it was maybe something I from I saw from being peeking at a commentary or something, but he actually was converted. You know, he was a converted Pharisee in a way. A convert, You know what it means to convert? To be changed from one way to another is what it means to be converted. <laughs> so he was changed from so what he thought he when knew. when he got saved, he changed the way he was? He didn't. As, God changed him. Well, that's the same. No, that's what happens I when you get saved. him as um, a Pharisee. Yeah, absolutely. He knew the way. It didn't change the fact that he knew the way of a Pharisee. He knew the law inside but and out. You he, know. Didn't you say he converted? Yeah, he converted. So he was changed from what he thought he knew. As a Pharisee, until to a child saved. of God, to a child of God, That's, until he got saved and because he changed his and, way and, as a Pharisee. yeah, and let me explain this a little more. So it's kind of the same way for now. Don't get me wrong; I believe that God had very big plans for for Paul. You know, he eventually was re, is renamed Paul, but he, I believe, God had some big plans for him, and he most certainly did because it says in fifteen that he is a chosen vessel unto me. You know, so Bible says, "For many are called, but few are chosen." The chosen are. God's people, you know, the church. And he's also to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So God had big plans for him, you know, and that's why Saul, that's why Paul was used by God to go. Do you know what a Gentile is? But do you know what it means to be a Gentile? Uh, it's preached a lot, but I, so I don't really what know they what would in Bible times what they would call a Gentile. What they would call a Gentile is somebody that is anybody that's not born as a Jew. So somebody that was outside of the Jewish nation in a way. So mm -hmm. does that make sense? So me and you, because we're not born in Jerusalem, we're not Jews. We're not Jew. We're not of the. We're not born of the Jewish nation. We're not born of the Jewish nation, so you know we. So technically, we're not Jews. We would be considered Gentile, but so yeah. So, but that's the thing, though. There was a reason why God was sent to the Gentile people too, because in in the Old Testament, there was laws where they were the Jews weren't supposed to basically make leagues with other nations, because God wanted them to be a separate people. He didn't want them to. He didn't want them to. Um, he basically didn't want them mixing and mingling with people outside of their people because he wanted them to be a separate people. He wanted them to be a people to himself. But the difference now, the difference now is that we are, you know, the difference now is we're inward Jews because of the spirit that lives inside of us. You know, we're inward Jews, you know, and actually there's scriptures that back that up. Actually, in Romans in the second chapter, at the end of Romans in the second chapter, it talks about how we're Jews inwardly. How we're Jews inwardly is because of the spirit of the Lord. You know, so Jesus didn't just die for the literal Jews, and a lot of people get this very wrong. 
He didn't die just for the literal Jewish nation. He died for the Jew and the Gentile. He died for all, not just one group of people. And a lot of people get that very, very wrong, you know, with the scriptures. They forget that even Isaiah prophesied, or in other words, he told about how God eventually, the kingdom was going to be expanded or much, made much larger to where even the Gentile people would be made part of Israel. And it's not literal Israel. They would be made part of the people. You know, Israel, oftentimes, you know, oftentimes Israel would be the, you know, the children of God, you know, is basically what that's talking about. So anyway, that's an important detail. So that's why he was going to be sent to the Gentiles. So anyway, though, so God had big plans for him. But anyway, going back to what I originally said, though, what happens is, you know, when you, you know, you and I, when we get saved, you know, we get saved from our sins. You know, and that's the, basically a big picture. What happened with Saul here is that he was saved, obviously, from sin in general. But the thing you also got to keep in mind, too, is that we get saved from what we thought we know, what we thought was right, our way of what we thought was right. And we get saved from that to go and follow after what God's way is. That's the difference. That's what repentance is, is to turn away from us and to turn to Christ. Right? Okay, so I long tangent on that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and read 17. And it says, And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his and putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell his eyes, as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. So, obviously he was converted on the road to Damascus. But as soon as he met Ananias, Ananias, by faith, trusted the word of the Lord, you know, telling him, you know, after the fact that Ananias had just said, hey, I've heard of this man. This man was, has the authority to put us, you know, to death and to bound us and take us into Jerusalem. God showed him like he's a chosen vessel of mine. You know, and it doesn't say that he fought him or hesitated anymore, but he met him, put his hands on his eyes, just like he saw in the vision. And then what happened? The scales fell from his eyes. In other words, he got a whole different size set of eyes. Yeah. That's what this is talking about is not a literal new set of yeah. eyes. It's a spiritual set of yeah. eyes. You know, he was able now to see things that he had never saw before, even as a Pharisee. See, the Pharisees place. were very well rounded in the wall. They knew he what saw the, it differently. Saw it completely differently. Saw, saw it through the eyes of the eyes spirit of, instead yeah. of the eyes of just him. There's, there is a difference. You he know. saw he saw better, and he saw what best eyesight you could ever have. It really is. But then look at his next step of obedience. You know, here is that after he was filled with the Holy Ghost, you know, after the the scales fell from his eyes, it says he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. So baptism, this is very important because some religions get this wrong. But we, you've been baptized before. I think you already know what it means, but. Baptism is an outward showing of what Jesus Christ did down on the inside. Yeah. Baptism isn't what gets you to get to heaven. What really gets you to heaven is that spiritual baptism. Yeah. That spiritual baptism that John preached about in the wilderness, how you must be baptized with fire and the Holy Ghost. You know, baptized with the Spirit, you know, the Word. You know, baptize, you know that's, that's what the word the baptism. A baptism is what it means when you, what's a picture of, and I'm going to say a picture is when you go under the water, it's a symbol of you dying out to your sins. And then when you come above the water, you're raised up in the newness of life. You're taking up that cross and following after Jesus. So you're dying out the sin and being raised up as a born-again Christian. You're saved from your sins. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. It's a big picture of getting saved, of what it's like to be saved. So 
other than that, um, actually, we're going to go. Actually, we're going to finish up these last few verses, and I think this would be a good stopping point for Saul. And then you and I are going to study Dorcas. So go ahead and read verse nineteen. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests? But then Saul... But Saul increased and the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwell at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. So what do you think? <laughs> what do you think is happening? People doubt. People kind of doubt him. So maybe. it's. Yeah, yeah, I would say, yeah, there were some doubters there for sure. But, you know, so it says right here, he received meat and was strengthened, so we ate. And then it said, you know, then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus, and then straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. So, right, and not shortly after getting his sight, he went straightway to already was already preaching. Because he... He knew that he did wrong, and he wanted to make it right, I Well, guess. no, no, it ain't that. What it is is that God, Christ saved him from all of that and showed him the right way, you know. And so he was what, doing it. And, and I believe wholeheartedly that because of the law of Moses, I believe that he thought, you know, when he was lost, when he, I believe that he thought what he was doing was right. But it wasn't, obviously, you know, because it wasn't the way of Christ, you know, because, again, God also died for the Gentile people also. You know, he died for all. He didn't just die for one select group of people. He died for all. But he was preaching for him. He was preaching for he was preaching Christ and him crucified. You know, preaching that he is the Son of God because the people that, that believe and people that believe in the law though they don't believe that the Messiah has came yet. The Jews don't. There is a lot of Jews that the Messiah being Jesus, they don't believe that he's came yet. You know, most of them still believe that he was just a prophet. Yeah, and it's crazy, but that's not what Paul was preaching here. He was preaching that Christ is the Son of God is what he was preaching. And then 27, it says, and all that heard him were amazed. Is not, And then they're like, is not this he that destroyed, you know, them? Which, you know, so they're, they're amazed by this because now, because this is like a three, major 360 for this man. You know, he went from persecuting the church, you know, putting Christians to death and persecuting them and trying to have them bound and brought back to Jerusalem to preach in Jesus Christ and him crucified. Um, but then it just says right here in 22 that he increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus. And then it says proving that this is very Christ. So he wasn't just preaching it with his physical mouth. He was also proving it and showing it. And that's the difference from when you get saved, right? Is that when you get saved, it's not, you know, your past sins don't matter. What you did in the past doesn't matter. You know, because God had washed you clean of all sin. So the point of it is, though, is that he was proving, you know, he, you know, again, it's just kind of like the saying, actions speak louder than words. He was proving that God changed him 110%, and, you know, is what he was doing by, by the fact of his strong zeal to go out and just, I mean, instead of going to Damascus to bound Christians, now he's preaching Christ and him crucified and that he's the son of God. See the difference there? 
You see, his preaching was his action, and that spoke louder than his words. Well, the spirit that yeah. bore witness, you know, and stuff. Well, it's a spirit that was preaching. I mean, yeah. You know, so yeah, I mean, you know, but that's both, the difference is the spirit bears. the same because, you know, he was preaching God's word, you know. Well, I would say both, you know, because my thing is this is a spirit, you know, when it bears witness, you know, it proves, you know, it, it's done in power and a demonstration yeah. of the Holy Ghost. You know, what that mean is it's done by the power of God and to demonstrate something is to show it. Mm-hmm. It's shown by the Holy Ghost. You know, when a preacher gets up behind the pulpit and starts preaching, you know, and I'm not just saying any preacher. I'm saying a God-called preacher. When they get up behind the pulpit, you quickly realize that the power and demonstration is all from the Holy Ghost. It's not mm-hmm. the man you see up there. The words are coming out from the Spirit of God. Mm-hmm. And, they, and they, the vessel being God, God's man that he chose yeah. to stand behind the pulpit, the vessel one delivering the word, mm-hmm. the words coming out of his mouth is the Spirit, not him. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing, ain't it? You know, but I, I feel like that's a good stopping point. But it's amazing what God, how God can change somebody. You know, it's amazing. <laughs>